Hello and welcome to the Energy Strong podcast presented by SPL. I'm Patrick Schauer. Joining me again today, my two wonderful co-hosts. Andrew Parker is the director of ESG for SPL. Andrew, how you doing? Good, Patrick. How's it going? It's going well. And Kat Galloway is the CEO of Artemis Energy out in Austin, Texas. Hey, Kat, how you doing? Hey, doing great. Excited to talk with everyone here today. Good. Yeah, well, we have an interesting topic again today. Uh, we've talked a lot about some of the major oil plays in the U.S., in Colorado, in Texas, we've even talked about California, but today we are getting to venture out east and talk a little bit about the Marcellus. So we have a great guest queued up today. Andrew, why don't you tell us, uh, tell everyone who we're talking to today? Yeah, so coming to us from somewhere in the, the Pittsburgh area, Dave, is that where you're, you are? I'm actually in Harrisburg today, uh, yes. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to talk about the Marcellus Shale. We've got Dave Callahan. And he is a principal advisor to the Marcellus Shale Coalition. Uh, Dave, thanks for taking the time to come on to the podcast. Well, thank you all. It's great to be with you today. I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, what's going on uh, with the oil and gas industry on the East Coast. But before we begin, if you could just take a minute or two and introduce yourself and a little bit about how you came to your role today with the, uh, the Shale Coalition. Sure. Thank you. Um, I basically spent uh, 31 years or so in the advocacy arena. Majority of that time has been spent uh, working with and for um, energy companies, energy trade associations, everything from interstate pipelines to energy marketers, um, um, natural gas distribution utilities in the state, as well as a, a major midstream uh, operator for about seven and a half years and uh, an unconventional uh, natural gas producer here in Pennsylvania as well. I've worked in and around the Marcellus Shale Coalition since nearly since its inception, and uh, you know it's it's great to come in. I've been uh, on here on the job as president of the MSC for about a year and a month now. That's awesome. And and so for the the listeners who don't know what the MSC is, you you represent. We we've had trade organizations that are focused towards the independents or upstream or midstream, but you guys represent kind of the whole industry in that region. So maybe talk a little bit more about what the MSC does. Sure. Uh, we're, we're a statewide trade association. We represent the whole value chain from uh, wellhead to burner tip in some instances. So we have producer members, we have midstream members, uh, we have some downstream members as well. And of course, we have a number of, uh, of associate members who provide goods and services to the industry. And all right now, we have about uh, 115 members in total. We like to say that uh, roughly 95% the gas that's produced uh, in Pennsylvania is done so by an MSC member. We have a broad reach here, and uh, some of the companies are involved solely here in, in, in the Marcellus and Utica plays. Others are involved regionally here in PA, Ohio, and West Virginia. And of course, we have some that are involved not just nationwide, but worldwide as well. So tell us a little bit about the Marcellus Shell itself. Um, maybe describe the play for us. Tell us, you know, how much oil and gas is being produced out there right now. Kind of give us a little bit of background on, on that play in particular. Sure, I could give you a, a, a few tidbits that, uh, you know, you could, you could win over your friends on trivia night with. Uh, 
you know, the Marcellus and Utica are stacked in Pennsylvania. And so we've got two shale plays uh, going on here, but a majority of the work right now is being done in the Marcellus. Marcellus covers uh, roughly two thirds of the state, uh, but we do have a, a wet window out in, in Western PA where you get uh, wet gas and all those good extra hydrocarbons, ethane, propane, butane, isobutane, and pentanes and natural gasoline. As you head it to the eastern part of the state, it's primarily dry gas, pipeline-ready dry gas as well. In terms of the amount of production and what we're doing here in the state, um, last year, I believe in 2021, we produced somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 7.6 trillion cubic feet for the year. And uh, if you're like me, yes, you know it's a lot of gas, but what does that really mean? I looked up some metrics from the Department of Energy and that 7.6 trillion cubic feet of gas could serve, uh, could heat uh, 114 million homes for a year. So that kind of puts it all into perspective. And so we've got tremendous production. We've got good midstream operations, again, out in Western PA, where they're taking advantage of that wet window and extracting those natural gas liquids uh, and using that in some downstream operations, as well as other midstream operations throughout the state as well. Can you tell us a little bit about where all that gas is going? You talked about how much is being produced, but how much of it is being consumed domestically on the East Coast, or and is any of it being exported? Sure. The, the gas is basically going to anywhere we have a market. Some of that is being exported. You know, we do have a facility just uh, south of Pennsylvania at Cove Point, which is a, a remarkable success story in itself. Um, that facility was originally built and meant to be utilized to import natural gas when we weren't energy secure with our natural gas supply. So it was meant to import. In recent years, that's been turned around and now we can export through Cove Point. There's obviously other, other export points as well in the Gulf Coast and, and in Georgia as well, but that just, just marks a tremendous success story for the industry to show how far we've come uh, in this country and in, in this region. You know, when I talk about the region, you know, Pennsylvania is the number two producer of natural gas in the country, but when you combine us with our neighbors in uh, Ohio and West Virginia, we're the number one producing region in the country. And uh, I believe, based on data that, that I saw a little while ago, we're the number three producing region in the world. So that gas is reaching markets domestic and international. Obviously, we'd like to reach more markets. You know, the, the, the build out of infrastructure uh, it has hit a few roadblocks. It's been stymied here or there. You know, it's very, very difficult to get product, uh, additional product into New England, for example. You know, crossing New York State has been a challenge. It's been an impossible challenge, to say the very least. Okay, so that's a great setup, Dave, for, I think, kind of the, the meat and potatoes of this interview, right? Because your, your, your appearance is very timely when you consider world events, right? And everything that's going on in the Ukraine and the attention to the recent ban on Russian imports and increasing domestic energy production, right? And why, why it's good. And then on top of that, you have the, the conversation of natural gas as a transitional fuel, right? Natural gas burns far more cleanly than coal does. And the Marcellus and Utica play have a great potential to uh, lead the charge, right? When it comes to um, putting more natural gas, but there are these hurdles that, that continue to kind of, um, 
impede the ability to produce domestically. And so I know that pipeline capacity has become somewhat of a bottleneck for the Mercellus. If you can, maybe talk to some of those pain points that the industry is feeling with takeaway capacity. Sure. Well, we've seen a fair, we've seen that materialize in several different manners. Uh, number one, uh, the capacity leading into New England has resulted in, in costs in New England, you know, four or five times what the price of natural gas is, is, is fetching here in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we're, we're somewhat constrained here with a lot of supply and not a lot of capacity to get it out. So there's a, a significant basis differential here in Pennsylvania and in the Appalachian Basin in general, as compared to, for example, the Henry Hub, where if I have my, my numbers correct, roughly 13 pipelines are, are all in or near uh, the Henry Hub complex itself. Um, that's not to say that more isn't being done. I mean, while the federal government, FERC, while the state of New York has thrown roadblocks and any number of legal hurdles have been thrown in front of major pipeline projects, there has been great effort done to undertake non-greenfield type projects, whether it's modernization projects, upgrades, you know, uh, changing out equipment at compression facilities. So companies are doing all that they can under the circumstances to get that product out. But, you know, what we really need is a national effort to really, really look at where those bottlenecks occur, to really look at where those hurdles are, are propping up that stop the ability to get product where it's needed. Again, both whether it's domestic or internationally. What we need is that infrastructure. We need shovels in the ground. We need permits. We need a national effort to get this going. There's my first, that was my first mess up. So there you go. One down, two, one down, one to go. I was going to, I was going to ask Dave. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a native of Massachusetts. My whole family lives in New England, actually. Um, and it always blows my mind that how they heat their homes in the wintertime. Right, I'm so spoiled on natural gas infrastructure here in Colorado. Uh, it blows my mind that my family, uh, my relatives, have to pay an incredible amount to put heating oil in their home. And then a couple of weeks ago, to your point, right, there was this graphic that I think it came from EQT, but we shared it through Energy Strong, showing the how high energy prices are for natural gas in New England. And I'm really curious how residents in New England take that. Do they know that they're paying so much more than the national average? Are they, are they blind to it? Um, why is there not more pressure coming on states that are holding up infrastructure projects like New York so that states like Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont can get natural gas piped in rather than essentially having to take an import from the Gulf Coast. Well, and it's not just uh, the natural gas prices. Their electricity prices are, are sky high as well. I think I saw a report from the U.S. Chamber from uh, a year or so ago showing that prices in New England were like 81% higher than they were here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So you know, those energy prices are across the spectrum. And, you know, I, I believe I also saw also reported earlier this year that during, you know, the height of the cold snap in January, I believe that New England ISO was reporting that somewhere in the neighborhood of 23% of their power was coming from fuel oil and not natural gas. I mean, the capacity just wasn't there. And you, you nailed it where you see 
imports coming into Boston Harbor. I mean, the most famous import into Boston Harbor from 2014 was a tanker filled with Russian natural gas. When we have plentiful supplies, uh, affordable supplies here uh, in Pennsylvania, just a couple hundred miles away to serve that market. As to what the consumers think, well, your guess is as good as mine. They should be up in arms, not just the, not just the homeowners, commercial uh, establishments, industrial owners, uh, industrial facilities. They should all be clamoring for not just a low-cost, abundant supply, but a clean supply of fuel as well. You know, when we talk about natural gas, when we talk about the many economic benefits that can accrue not just our country, but our, our allies worldwide, we can't forget the environmental benefits as well. And, um, you know, not just the natural gas itself that we know burns clean, that has resulted in, in significant emissions reductions in this country, but the fact that that gas is produced here in this country under the, under, you know, the most stringent regulations in the world, and you know that that natural gas, if you're a customer in, the, in Europe, if you're a customer in Asia or elsewhere, you know that natural gas is, is developed under very, very strict requirements that, uh, and not only that, but you, know, you look at the methane intensity of that gas. Uh, the United States methane intensity is somewhere in the neighborhood of 64, 65% lower than, that, uh, than the gas coming from Russia. When you look selfishly, for me, looking selfishly at the Appalachian region, uh, our numbers are even lower than that, much lower than the U.S. average as well. We will be right back to the Energy Strong podcast, but I want to tell you about our sponsor, SPL. They offer end-to-end -end testing, measurement and reporting solutions across the entire hydrocarbon value chain through cutting-edge technology, meticulous processes, and highly qualified personnel. SPL offers insights you can trust and act on. Check them out online at spl-inc.com. That's spl-inc.com. And now... Back to the show. So can you talk a little bit about some of those emissions reductions that operators on the, on the, in, in the region have been, have been working on? How are we able to achieve such uh, low methane intensities and, and such cleanly produced gas? Well, a part of it is just the nature of the play here in Pennsylvania being more of a, a modern play, a recent play. Some of it is, uh, you know, going after some of these certifications as well that, not just that the certifications uh, change operations, but it, the certifications from these uh, various third-party groups that uh, gather and analyze various environmental data, it's recognizing the great work that the companies are doing out in the field. It seems that uh, every day you see a press release or something showing that some operator here in Appalachia is doing something with one of these third-party uh, certification firms, whether it's for a, a subset of their operations or whether it's for all their operations. And, you know, I will say some of those uh, apply to upstream operators, some apply to midstream operators as well. Dave, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking at a letter that you pinned to the governor of Pennsylvania a couple of weeks ago. Could you please maybe describe that letter uh, to our audience? What did you write in that letter? And have you heard anything back uh, from Governor Wolf on uh, what you've written? 
Well, you know, in, in the flurry of activity after the, the absolute horrendous invasion of Ukraine by Russia, there's been all sorts of, uh, of, of information flowing back and forth um, both sides of the political aisle from, from the government itself, not just Pennsylvania, but from government officials, from industry and elsewhere. And that was just our, our attempt to put a marker in the ground to say, again, it's time for all of us to work together. We can help our allies. We can help them economically. We can help them environmentally as well. Uh, and I think it was just our effort to just put that stake in the ground and say, let's all work together. This is something that doesn't have to be a political matter. It doesn't have an R or D after, after each initiative. It's something that we should be doing and prioritizing. You know, Russia has a tremendous grip on the energy supplies, that, particularly the natural gas supplies of Europe. I think we've all heard countless times now uh, they represent 40% of the natural gas supplied to Europe. We need to help break that grip. Uh, we need to help break that grip that, that influences, that, because we all know there's a direct relationship uh, between energy security and national security. We have to break that influence there as well and allow our allies to you know, import clean produced, uh, abundant natural gas from the United States without fear of that supply being choked off for political or military reasons. And and do you feel like there are um, specific roadblocks that you're dealing with in Pennsylvania or on a national level um, that you think um, would help us all produce more clean oil and gas? Um, do you have a specific ask that you've got for the governor or, or for the administration? There's a whole spectrum of ideas without getting into into the specifics. It, it all begins with with words. It all begins with statements. I mean, if you have a, a an administration in Washington that wants to end all fossil fuels, if you have an administration that puts up nominees for key executive branch uh, positions, one who wants to uh, bankrupt fossil fuel companies, another who wants to you know, perhaps restrict credit uh, and access to credit uh, and, and capital for fossil fuel industries, those words matter. Those, and, and those words result in actions. Um, and what we need first and foremost is a recognition of the need for this fuel source, a need for this fuel source, not just in America, but worldwide, and a recognition that while this fuel source is great in its present form, that there are many opportunities down the road, whether it's exploring, uh, exploring uh, the avenues of hydrogen, carbon capture, ammonia, or any other avenues, that this fuel source and the infrastructure that's needed for this fuel source is very valuable for the energy future of this country. So I want to circle back and kind of along the same lines of establishing the need for the energy and scratching our heads, trying to understand why we have government entities that don't want to promote the industry domestically when we produce the cleanest um, molecules of oil and gas on the planet. I want to circle back to a comment you made two questions earlier about these third-party certifications, um, because that's a really cool trend that I think in the last, I'd say what, 12 to 18 months has really caught fire. And the Marcellus, operators in the Marcellus are leading the way in, in this respect of responsibly certified or responsibly sourced gas, right? And the, so there's, there's a few different frameworks out there where 
uh, a body will come in, they'll look at your operation and basically give a, a rating to how cleanly you are producing um, your natural gas. And, and the reason this is important is because natural gas has come under fire, right? Under by critics to say, okay, it burns clean, but you're not factoring in any of the methane leaks associated with the production, right? And so give me something that shows that you minimized your leaks in producing that natural gas and it truly is a cleaner alternative, right? So two questions. Um, what what are you seeing in terms of, of activity in with operators in the Marcellus uh, implementing responsibly sourced gas certifications? And um, are you seeing a lot of movement uh, with, with actually deals being made to sell RSG at a premium to utility companies in that part of the world? Sure. And, and, and again, as you mentioned, you're seeing uh, companies, it seems like a, a weekly basis, you see another company announcing that they're working with any one of these third-party certification firms. And again, I think, as I said, in, in response to a prior question, it's not necessarily that, that companies are changing what they're doing. It's recognizing what they've been doing all along. It's a part of the culture of these companies to, do, to perform work in a certain manner. It's part of the culture of these companies to be mindful of, of the health and safety of their own workers and of the communities in which they operate. We see this happening all the time. And while you know, we, we have heard from, other, uh, from those third-party certification firms that perhaps there is a price premium that could be realized, maybe there are, are certain utilities, maybe there are certain uh, municipal utilities in particular who may be interested in a price premium. I understand certain public service commissions, public utility commissions in the nation over are, can restrict the ability of uh, natural gas distribution companies to uh, seek out supplies. Uh, for a higher price. So there's, there's a bit of a tension there. And I'm sure that those third-party certification firms are, are working all that out. But uh, you see it on the electric side where, you know, we, I happen to live in a state where I can choose my, my retail electricity provider. I can choose a provider who provides, uh, you know, green energy. I could choose a provider that, that does it along a certain price point. Perhaps that's the wave of the future for natural gas as well. Again, we see a lot of activity in this arena, um, and I think it's significant. It's, it's important for the culture of the companies to be recognized. It's important for their customers. It's important to a degree to their, uh, ab absolutely to their investors and to their local stakeholders as well. I mean, all of these companies, and I could say that all the members of our coalition work really hard at environmental compliance. Um, you know, they're operating within their permits and our analysis, where we look at, you know, just the, the, the vast number of inspections, you know, over 18,000 just last year alone, um, our industry achieved somewhere in the neighborhood of 96 and some odd percentage uh, decimal point uh, compliance rate. We're proud of that. Our companies are proud of that, too, that, again, with economic development, you get environmental advancement. And I think you'll find that in the current context of the the Russia Ukrainian conflict ongoing, as we look to fill more deliveries of LNG to European countries that function under a carbon cap and trade system, that uh, certified low carbon natural gas and LNG shipments will become, I think, even more paramount and 
possibly drive a, a bigger premium than what they could get domestically. Um, I, I, I've talked to some producers that have said, you know, well, I can get a 5% premium on RSG domestically, but I can get, I can get a 50% premium if I ship it as LNG to Germany or, or another European country. So that'll be a really interesting, interesting trend. I think in the next 12 to 18 months, depending on how this, uh, conflict with Russia and the Ukraine continues. So you made the, you made a really, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we, the conflict, the war, the atrocities, uh, you know, we focus on that and there will be an end to that in some fashion. And hopefully it ends in the way we all want it to end on our side of the Atlantic. However, um, the implications of that for uh, national security in Europe and worldwide, the implications for that for energy security in Europe and energy policy uh, are, 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 there's a long-term effect there, that the world has changed as of February 25th, and uh, it's going to continue along that path for quite some time where European countries and others will be taking a good hard look, and we're taking a good hard look in our country, where our energy comes from. We're interested in costs. We're interested in, in the reliability of supply, the resiliency. And we're also, by the way, interested in the environmental footprint, the environmental uh, effect of that supply as well. And so we're going to see that play out for in the long term, I think. I think you actually just answered the question I was going to ask you, which <laughs> is, um, at, you know, as an industry, how do you take back the narrative? You know, you, you raised the point about, you know, these companies really ESG, uh, is really a manifestation of what most oil and gas companies have done for decades. We've always been an environmentally focused industry. We've just not marketed ourselves that way. And so I actually think that was a really good answer to say you know, all the ways of, of people are going to start reconsidering where we get our energy, what kind of energy we consume. Do we prioritize a renewable transition, electric vehicles, natural gas, nuclear and um, that was I th kind of a roundabout answer to it, if, if you want to add anything else there. Well, yeah. Well, well when you look at the, the people that we employ in the industry as well, like, for example, when we uh, submit, when if it's a producer or midstream company submits to Pennsylvania an erosion and sedimentation control permit, which is actually one of the major permits that, that folks here, here submit, um, you've got engineering professionals working on that, environmental professionals, everybody looking at that and making sure that, that those plans are put into place. We're talking about professionals, certified professionals who put their, their certification stamp on the line every time they put a permit in front of our State Department of Environmental Protection. This is their job. This is their livelihood. They work for our industry. They work for other industries as well. It's, it shows the significance of the work being done here. Absolutely. Well said. I have a question on a kind of a totally different path. Um, given the, the amount of gas that's produced um, in the play, and given the climate um, in Pennsylvania, I'm starting to see um, from my end, a lot of Bitcoin miners coming to the state of Pennsylvania and mining Bitcoin off of the natural gas. Um, is that something that your group is following? Do you have any data on that industry at all in your state? Um, Cat's the Bitcoin queen, so. Ah, 
All right. Well, I can I can confer with you after. Uh, <laughs> no, we're starting to to watch this. We understand that some companies are doing this. Some companies might be involved. To what degree, in terms of a percentage of the entire industry? I, I think it's a small percentage right now. But you know, from from what I know about the data miners, um, they need a constant supply of power. And if you have something close to the fuel source itself, it's a clean source of power. You're not in, you're not uh, you're not uh, putting it through miles and miles of transportation. Um, it's you can look at it like any other use of natural gas, just like power generation in general, just like utilizing those uh, those chemical building blocks and NGLs. It's another economic opportunity. Absolutely. And, and, and definitely, um, you know, having clean burning natural gas to create that power for Bitcoin mining is a big deal. And I, and I mentioned the climate in particular, you know, we're, we've seen a lot of miners coming to Texas, um, but it's hot and dusty here and those computers don't like to get hot. Um, but I know that um, I've seen a lot, a lot moving to Pennsylvania just because, because of the access to, to the gas. Um, and of course, the climate is a little bit better for those computers. So I, I think you're going to see more of it as well. It's a, it's a very, very, very interesting business. And, uh, you know, I've just started to scratch the surface and understanding it. Um, yeah. Kind of circling back just a little bit to what we were talking about um, a minute ago with uh, some of the responsibly sourced gas initiatives has has the Marcellus Shale Coalition been pushing that as a way of of speaking with some of these um, New England states as a way to s- try and incentivize additional infrastructure development? I know there's been a lot of pushback from states, in particular like New York, on getting new pipelines put through. But do you see and has has the MSC been pushing? responsibly sourced gas as a way of trying to get some of these projects to open up a little bit more? Again, from from the very beginning, we've been talking about the environmental advantages of using natural gas uh, from, from day one, along with the economic advantages and, and the results. When you look at the data, it speaks for itself. Here in Pennsylvania, increased use of natural gas in the power generation sector dropped CO2 emissions somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% from 2005 through 2018. And I think we all know nationally, nationally speaking, uh, increased use of natural gas is one of the primary reasons why the United States has led the world in CO2 emission reductions dating back to 2005 as well. Um, we, have a lot to, we have a lot to offer, whether it's, again, domestically in New England, whether it's internationally as well, where I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 billion people live in energy poverty meaning they have inadequate access to energy or no access to energy. And some of those energy sources that they do have access to aren't exactly good for their health. We have a chance to really make changes. If you're concerned about CO2 emissions, it's a global issue. We have the opportunity to make significant changes to global CO2 emissions with LNG exports. We're all shaking our heads here. We're all shaking yes. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm glad we're on video. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, well, just to piggyback off that, I think I, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But there's, forget the acronym. It's the, it's the, one of the federal pipeline, not FEMSA, but um, FERC. Thank you. Uh, they just came out with some guidance and, and a, a proposal, I believe a week or two ago, talking about how, 
new pipelines that get permitted now have to have, you know, a certain methane intensity, right? They have to have provable, you know, be clean basically and, and provably clean. Um, I don't know if you've heard any uh, bit on that. I, I probably need to do a little more brushing up myself, but there, there was something like that that just came out. Yeah, I, I, I believe I saw some uh, a bit of a summary of that. And it goes to something that we were talking about earlier about what needs to be done to increase uh, the availability of natural gas in this country and abroad. And what are the policy uh, changes that need to happen? Well, one of the biggest things that needs to change uh, at the state and the federal level is to increase predictability. So we don't wait, you know, as we do in Pennsylvania, upwards of 200 days for a general permit. We don't know at the federal level, like, for example, through FERC, okay, there's a policy now on that. What passes that policy? Where are, where are the guide rails on that policy for what's the target we have to hit? And if we hit that target, are we guaranteed a certificate? We don't know that. It's the unpredictability that, that is the main, main culprit here. And we need to get after that. And whether it's in that FERC uh, policy, whether it's in state policies or other federal policies, for example, you know, uh, again, we don't have federal lands in PA under development, but, you know, for a, a company in Colorado or elsewhere where some federal lands might be open for development someday, who wants to invest in that if you don't know if that's going to be taken away? We need predictability. Dave, you're incredibly well-spoken and I cannot wait for this podcast to come out because I'm going to blast it on all of my social media channels so my friends in uh, New England can listen to what they're missing out on that's right at their doorstep. Um, so with that, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us and talk about what's happening in the Marcellus and it's such an exciting play for, for the U.S. oil and gas industry. Um, Patrick, had anything else you guys want to add before we let Dave go? No, I, seconding you that. Maybe give us some more info. Give us some more info on uh, on um, where we can learn more about your organization. Any sort of um, community events, anything. Please give the uh, the the listeners and now the viewers um, how they can get a hold of you. I was hoping to get to this point. Sure, we're, we're, we have a, a great website, www.marcelluscoalition.org. We're very active on social media as well, on Twitter and Facebook, as well as on LinkedIn. Uh, if you remember me, send me send, you know, link up with me. We put all kinds of information out on LinkedIn that professionals, whether they're engaged in our industry or not, can learn a lot about the industry, can understand facts. We say that we share fact-based information. We do share that fact-based information. And sometimes that's lost in our world where everything is what I call the, the Twitter cafeteria food fight. Uh, we need the facts. We need to rely on the facts. And you could come to the MSC's website. You could look at our social media outlets and look for those facts. Great. Well, well, we'll put links to all of that in the podcast description as well so that our viewers and our listeners can go ahead and find those easily. Um, but absolutely. Thank you so much, Dave, for, for coming on and having this conversation. It was great to hear a little bit more about the Marcellus. I, I did some work out there myself uh, a couple of years back and I, I miss being out in Pennsylvania. So I'll have to come visit you in, in Pittsburgh sometime. Well, thank you all. And, and Patrick, you have obviously, and all of you have an open invitation. Come on out, come out to our Pittsburgh office, come out to our Harrisburg office. 
we'll show you a good time and, and share with you all kinds of additional information as well. But I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. You got a great podcast. Well, we appreciate your time. And thanks again, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Energy Strong Podcast. Thank you again to the Marcellus Shale Coalition and to Dave for coming on to the show. We really had a, a fun time talking with him. I would like to remind all of our viewers and our listeners again, you can find us on YouTube if you want to take a look at what, what we all look like and what all of our recording setups look like. Or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, wherever you listen. Make sure you leave a comment, a rating, a review. It really helps us out, helps drive uh, more interest in the show and get the show spread out to more people. Also want to remind folks, if you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can reach out to Energy Strong. And all of the sponsorship money is going to help our nonprofit partners, which again right now is the PBLA here in Denver. So go ahead and check them out. If you're interested, you can listen to our first episode or you can find them online. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you all next time.